You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Welcome to Garden City. This is a place you can belong before you believe. Uh, Today, we're going to be wrapping up our series called Garden City, and today is really looking at the vision that God has for the Garden City. What does that look like? Like digging into that vision of what we're to be living toward and what we get to look forward to. So just by way of reminder, here's kind of the three-part story of the Garden City. And uh, if you remember, it starts like this. The garden was blessed. The garden was beautiful and good, and God had created something wonderful. And then the garden was broken when humanity decided to go its own way and kind of forsake the way that God had laid out. But after the garden was blessed and then broken, uh, God sent his son Jesus to begin this new work, this redemption work, uh, where the garden becomes a new garden city. And we get to look forward to the renewal of all things, where God puts all things right. And we see in the book of Revelation this beautiful vision of God's renewed world, where God gives this garden city, place of wholeness and flourishing. In fact, in Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And this is the garden city. And uh, in verse in chapter 22, it, it reminds us that there's a, there's a garden and a city together, a river of life at the tree of life that has fruit for the healing of the nations, this beautiful picture of what God is going to do. So what does a picture of this garden city look like? What does this future renewed world really look like? In Isaiah 65, we actually have a beautiful picture that's painted by the prophet Isaiah of what this garden city will look like, a a renewed heaven and renewed earth will will look like. In this passage, there's a lot of different ways to break it down, but before the pandemic, we actually sat down with the leadership community at Whitewater and kind of like named uh, at least some of the themes um, from this passage. And so what I'd like to do is um, read through this beautiful picture of the garden city, of the new heaven and new earth, and some of the key themes that leaders in our church have have really seen and, and named. So here we go. It says, look, I'm creating new heavens and new earth, just like Revelation. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. It's that garden city concept. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. So we see this theme that there will be public joy and happiness in a world of depression, sadness, violence, and all kinds of problems. We get to look forward to a place of joy and happiness. Verse 20 moves on to say, No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. And here we see a theme of healthcare and well-being and value for children and the elderly. 
in a world that struggles to, to value all of life from womb to tomb, we see this tremendous value on life and wholeness and wellness. Verse 21, it says, in those days, people will live in the house they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. And we see a theme here that everyone will have access and ability to provide homes and food. They'll be able to have a life that's whole and healthy. Again, it goes on to say, for my people will live as long as trees and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. In this theme, we see everyone will have long lives and strong lives. Isaiah continues painting the picture and says, For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. Ugh. This theme, it reminds us every family will live life under the complete blessing of God. Verse 24 goes on, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. And just a final theme for our purposes today is there will be an absence of violence and predatory behavior. Ah, that's wonderful. And God will take care of our needs. Do you agree that this is what God wants for our community that we live in? Some of these themes, some of the, the vision that we see, do we think that God wants this for our cities? Do you see this as maybe part of our mission as Christ followers? See, it's really easy sometimes to get this this mission that like Christians are supposed to say, stay so pure and separate from the world that we never go into the world and it's scary and we stay away from that. But, but for this vision to, to happen or for us to live into this heaven on earth now, and we know it's never going to be perfect until Jesus restores all things, but, but we can live heaven now the best we can and help follow the spirit of Jesus into, you know, restoration of our world. And God does this through his people through his church. So how are we to help this happen? Now, remember the original story is humans were made to walk and work with God to develop the garden. Now they were walking and working with God, not to earn anything or earn salvation. It was, they're in a relationship. So work and walking with God is just part of that, like the purpose and calling of humans. God's garden strategy, if you will, uh, for humans to help lean into building toward the garden city is simply this, bloom where you're planted. As a reminder, Adam and Eve were actually banished from the garden, but they were also sent to extend and cultivate the garden into the world, to extend the beauty of Eden. I want to look at the connection between Genesis and Jeremiah 29, how God has created us to be a blessing and to extend the garden. Look at this really interesting connection between exile and garden, banishment and garden. Genesis chapter 1, uh, 27, it says, He, being God, created humanity in His image. We're image bearers. He created them male and female. And then God blessed them and gave them this directive, be fruitful and multiply populate the earth. I make you my trustees of my estate. So care for my creation. Okay. So hold that in your mind. Like that was the original calling. Like some people might call it the, 
the cultural mandate. I know people aren't as excited about mandates these days. I like to think of it like the uh, the stewardship commission um, that we were commissioned to be stewards of our world. That was the original calling for humans, and that calling I I believe remains. Let's look at Jeremiah. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, when Israel is being sent into exile into Babylon, the place they don't want to be in a culture that they hate and in a a group of people that are their enemies and have really caused a lot of damage to, to them culturally and spiritually. It says this, the Lord who rules over all is the God of Israel. So God is God over the world and he's the God of Israel. He speaks to all those that he exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon these exiles who were taken from Jerusalem where they wanted to be to Babylon where they didn't want to be. He says this, build houses and make your homes there. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Get married, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters to be married. Then they too can have sons and daughters. Let there be many more of you and not fewer. Do you see the echo between Genesis 1 to this um, this moment, this commissioning by God to his people of being fruitful, of cultivating the land and the creation and, and actually extending the Garden of Eden even into the midst of Babylon where their enemies are? They're not stuck in Babylon. They're sent by God to bless it. And it goes on to say in verse 7, also work for the flourishing of the city I have sent you to. Pray to the Lord for that city. If it flourishes, you too will flourish. I just love that the original stewardship commission, uh, what humans were designed for as image bearers to reflect God's love to the world and the world's love back to God is still in effect. This is how God uses his people, even in exile from the garden or from Jerusalem to bless the world and it's to bloom where they are planted, to bloom in such a way that they reflect God's love to the world. So when people look at them, they say, wow, where does that come from? And they can look to the source and praise God bloom where you're planted. And I have two verbs in here that I think are important for our blooming where we're planted. And verse seven says to work for the flourishing of the city and pray for it. So work and pray, work and pray, action and reflection, compassion and contemplation. These, this rhythm, these are going to be important things in cultivating a garden city when we can learn to have a bigger vision than just my life, just my life and my family, or even like my life, my family, and my church, if we have a bigger kingdom vision and say, wow, this is God's world, this is God's city, all of these things are gifts, even if some of the gifts have gone wrong, I'm a part of this vision, this story where we get to help the garden gone wrong become a garden city. We get to join Jesus in what he's doing. Where none of us are perfect, none of us have all the gifts, and none of us can handle, you know, all the pressures. And we certainly can't be all things for every, everybody all the time. But with our calling, with your gifts, with your unique situation where you live in your world, you are to bloom right where you're planted. Do you have a bigger vision, a kingdom vision for the city and the world around you? God wants you to have that. So how do we help work toward a garden city with God? Not on our own, not out of our own strength, but with God. And here's something to consider. Jesus followers are planted like seeds to bloom where they're planted. 
Listen to this in Matthew 13. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in this field. Later on in the passage, Jesus clarifies what he means. And he says, The one who plants the good seed is the human one. That's a term that Jesus used for himself. So the one who planted the good seed is Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom. So imagine like a farmer or a gardener who's forecasting. Forecasting is kind of scattering seed real broadly. Imagine Jesus taking his church, his people, the the people who love him, and scattering, sending them into different places, different cities, different sectors, all throughout our world. We are planted like seeds to bloom where we're planted. And sometimes it's easy to wish that we were planted over there or that we were like that seed and we had that those gifts and that calling. But God created you for a purpose, you for a calling with gifts that are unique to you so you could reach people that other people can't reach. You can resonate with people that other people won't resonate with. And you'll be able to do creative things, um, not only to help people see God, but to do good work that blesses other people. It's this both and, like you do good work and it points even more strongly to the creator, the giver, the ultimate creator. We've been talking about this idea, what if, what if we all had seven gardens and we learned to cultivate those gardens? We learned to bloom in those gardens right where we're planted. And uh, what would the world look like if Christians embraced being sent like seeds into the world, not trying to just stay in the uh, seed bag and not wanting to leave that, stay in their church, stay in their little group and never leave. No, no, we, we let God scatter us and plant us and realize we're planted. I mean, just think with me for a little bit. If every Christian was cultivating these gardens and working with God, the personal garden, your mental, emotional, um, physical, financial health and character, man, what would happen if we were healthier and more holistic in our discipleship? The, the garden of the parish, which is our church friends and family, we were cultivating that actively. Our people, uh, the garden of our people, that's our friends and our family, you know, like that, that group, that sphere of influence. We're cultivating that. Our place, our neighbors and our community, we cared about that. We cared about the common good. Um, how about our, the garden of our profession, our work and education world? That God wanted to use us there, that, that we didn't see that as like a more of a add-on to our life or something we wish we didn't have to do, but it's part of our, our spiritual existence and we cultivated it. How about our peace work, like that area of compassion, justice, mercy that you care about? Maybe it's foster care. Maybe it's feeding those who don't have, you know, food. Maybe it's, you know, something global. You know, I don't know what your um, peace passion might be, but what if we cultivated that? And then finally, play. That's our rest and our party. That's our discipline of like disengaging from work and then engaging in recreation and play and party. What would happen if we as Christians embraced a more holistic understanding, more holistic vision of what it means to be human in community, human in our, in our communities and our cities? where there's a lot of people who believe and think differently and maybe antithetically to what you might believe and practice, but we're still to be working and praying for their flourishing. We are planted like seeds to bloom where we're planted. Are you blooming in the gardens that God has sent you to? Are you cultivating them? Now, I'd like to just finish with this. What does blooming look like? So here's a few things to think about. What does blooming look like for the Christian? Christian is Christian. 
Like, and we're trying to put the Christ back in Christian, okay? So blooming, our blooming looks like Jesus. We bloom in a Jesus-shaped way. We study Jesus as our primary lens to bloom where we're planted, or maybe our primary seed to watch how he bloomed and grew. And we're not going to be exactly like Jesus, and we have all kinds of you know, gifts and talents and personalities, but the totality of Christians in the world as seeds, they give a picture of Jesus, and it's a Jesus-shaped life that we want. I love it. Jesus said it this way, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's scattering us like seeds. He's sending us into a broken world, just like his Father sent him. So what do we look like? What does blooming look like? What does struggling look like? It looks for Christians like Jesus. Jesus also said this in um, John 12, in helping us understand what blooming looks like in a Jesus type of way. He said, I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It has a harvest. And here we see Jesus talking about this this, um, pattern for blooming, this pattern for Jesus followers in our world, life death, resurrection, life, death, new life, fruitfulness, harvest. And it reminds us that like Christians, people who follow Christ, we serve different. Like we are, we come to serve. We die to like some of the things that we just want for ourselves. We have to maybe die to some of the dreams that like we wanted, but God has something differently, different for us. And we die especially to selfishness. I think that's inherent in this passage. Like unless a seed dies, like a bunch of other, a bunch of other harvests, a bunch of other seeds aren't going to happen. And so without Jesus dying on the cross, like there's no hope for any of us uh, in our world, in the gardens of our life, unless we choose to become servants and be planted in the soil. That might be mucky, it might be dirty, it might be, you know, kind of, you're just like, this is gross, this isn't like clean, it's not pure. But in that earth, when we allow God to plant us and we die to ourselves, just living for our selfishness and we live for Christ and His desires, many lives are impacted, there's a harvest. I can't help but think this pattern of life, death, and new life, this pattern of living like Jesus and blooming like Him, it means like for, for Christians, our per- we look at purpose differently than the world might. In the world, it's all about your purpose, you getting your followers, you, um, you know, shaping uh, the world the way you want, rather than saying, hey, my purpose and calling is I need to do what God has called me to do. Instead of thinking like you got to do what everyone else wants you to do and live under the pressures of our parents and our our friends and our our culture, we we don't live under their calling. We live for the calling that God has given us and how God has wired us. Jesus focused on the work his father had given him and gifted him for. We should do the same. And then our presence, how how was Jesus' presence in and among people and in a world that's so anxious and so judgmental and so fearful and, you know, all those things, all the worries that people live with and the um, scarcity mentality and selfishness, we're to have a presence that's not perfect. We're not going to be perfect, but we're leaning into being, having a peaceful presence, a relational presence. Jesus was always stopping for people along the way. 
a joyful presence, not just gloomy <laughs> all the time. Religious people, I think most people think of religious people, they think of like gloomy, you know, really, really gloomy um, policy makers and holders. You know, like you got to follow the policies, got to do the religious things, but we're supposed to be joyful, joyful. And in all the anxiety, we're, I think, to live in an unanxious presence. Where we're not just so uptight, so worried, and so worried about the next thing. We're looking past people. We can never be present. We're not with people now. An unanxious presence brings peace. Jesus shaped blooming, uh, looks at partnership different. Instead of uh, a world that says we should all have partisanship in our own tribe, we got to have less partisanship and more partnership, more collaboration over competition. You know, the left and the right hand always work better when they're working together. Partnership. And Jesus did that. He pulled all kinds of people in from different backgrounds for partnership. Jesus' way of blooming looks at power differently and handles power. Rather than just using power to get what we want, we speak truth to power and through power as servants, not as rulers. We look at power and influence from a stewardship perspective, not an exploiter's perspective. We don't look at like power as like the might is right and the strong always should, you know, kind of rule the weak. But we look at love is right, not just might is right. That we exchange power for love and that's true power. We look at um, perspectives differently rather than just a homogenous one way. And the only way of looking at things is this way. We have, we, we look at multiple perspectives and God made so many different people and we're to have a diversity of people in our lives and our communities to understand and love other people because God loves other people and learning other people's perspective, stepping into their reality, their world is so important. It's what Jesus did. And finally, how we look at peace, what peace really looks like. And peace is this idea of shalom or over, like where everything's right, everything's put right and healthy in the world Jesus lived, Caesar's peace or Rome's peace was a coercive and violent peace. It, like it made you know everything right by using the tools of coercion, violence, and power. But Jesus' way is a, uh, to gain peace was patience, love, sacrifice, generosity. And so rather than the Roman Caesar worldly way of looking at power and putting people on a cross. You know, if they don't agree or live the way that we want to live, we take the way of the cross, which is sacrificial love and generosity. So let me ask you, are you willing to allow God to plant you? Have you recognized that maybe God has already planted you where you're at so you can bloom? And will you bloom? Will you live with a grander vision of working with God toward a garden city where people are loved, where collaboration happens, where life is valued and people are um, flourishing together. I've heard Christian ask, what strategy do we use? What strategy should we have as churches? And there's all kinds of strategies, but I just think it's pretty simple. And the strategy is bloom where you're planted in a Jesus-y way, a way that looks like him. Guys, I love you so much. If this um, sermon has encouraged you, share it with somebody and let's bloom where we're planted and live toward the Garden City together. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com. 
or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.